Well, good morning. We're glad you're here this morning. I don't know about you, but uh, something about the last several months of our lives. I mean, if you're looking about the last eight or nine months that we've kind of gone through and things we've wrestled with, at the end of the day, I think these last few months we've learned some things about our own lives, right? If we can get these front lights on back there, Kaylee, if we get these on, that would be great. I think they might want to take some notes, but the last few months we've learned some things about our lives, right? Like, for example, when you look at the world that we live in and you look at like the pandemic, I think one thing we've kind of learned from the pandemic was it really kind of forced us to ask some questions like, what do we really believe, right? Like when you start this pandemic started and we go back and we kind of look back at the, the newscast and all that happened, there's a lot of things going on. For some people, they were like, this is not a big deal at all. And for other people, this is like the worst thing since we can never remember, like the swine flu. And then you've got some people that are kind of touting around going, it's the end of the world, right? The apocalypse is happening, and then you've got others that are like, no, 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 we just need to trust God. And so I think for all of us at different levels there, it kind of forces us to ask this question with this pandemic, what do we really believe, right? And I think too, as we look at this pandemic and we look at this last eight or nine months, we've been forced to look at different things that have gone on in our culture. Like we've obviously, I mean, unless you've not turned the TV on at all or not read any newspaper, you, you know, you, you're aware of this, that we live in a country where there's a lot of racial tension, right? There's a lot of racial tension. And so as we've gone through these last eight or nine months, it's left us maybe asking this question, what will I stand for? Right? You've got all these people that are out there standing for that. So what, what am I going to stand for? I mean, forget whether I agree or disagree. What am I going to stand for? And as we look at the world that we live in, not only to see the kind of the racial tension, we also see even the protesting. If you watch the news, you saw people protesting. And I'm not talking about the looters and the things that were burning people down. That's off the chart. Wrong. Should never happen. But I'm talking about people that were protesting, which should force us maybe to ask this question. What am I passionate about? See, these people are passionate, right? They took a stand for something. What am I passionate about? And then if you remember the worst part of the pandemic for me, because I love people. Anybody else like people in the room? All right, two of us. Great. So the rest of you are hermits, right? So the thing is, I love people. And the worst part of the pandemic was the isolation period, right? And during that isolation period, here's the thing that I feel like I kept coming back to over and over and over again in my life is this question. What matters to me the most? What's really important to me? Who is really important to me? What are the priorities of my life. And so here's the point. As we look the last eight or nine months of our lives, it for, it's forced us to ask some questions like, hey, what do I believe? What am I going to stand for? What am I passionate about? And at the end of the day, what do I truly view as important in my life? Now, here's the thing. The answers to those questions, for many of us, as we found the answers and we've kind of been on this journey of self-discovery, the answers are really a reflection of our heart, aren't they? Amen? Can you say amen to that? I know it's 9 o'clock, but are you with me this morning? I mean, as we look at those questions, the reflection, uh, the, the answers are a reflection of our heart. So for some of us, as we looked at those things, here's what we found out. We found out that, hey, I feel like I'm pretty solid in these things. I'm pretty solid about what I believe, where I'm going to stand, what I'm passionate about, what matters to me. But others of us may have looked at these questions going, never thought about it that much. And maybe there's some areas, listen, maybe there's some areas in my life that I need to address. So what am I passionate about? Where am I going to stand? What do I believe? And what really matters to me? Now, it's these kinds of questions that's going to drive us in this series called Seven. Today, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We are not walking through the book of Revelation, so don't think that. But we're going to be looking at seven churches in the book of Revelation. Now, here's what I want you to know, because some of you may have studied the book of Revelation, but I kind of want to throw this out there out of the gate. These are seven real 
churches. All right. They are there. You know, some people look at the book of Revelation, seven churches go, well, they represent seven time periods that's, that are church ages that we're going to go through. And I don't care what you believe about that. What I want you to know, this is for sure, that when John was told to write these things down, these are seven churches, historical churches and real areas that had some real struggles. And when you look at these seven churches, as we're going to over the next seven weeks, we're going to find out these churches were doing some things that were really good. But then they were doing some things that weren't so good. They were doing some things that had to be addressed. There were some things, listen, there were some things as they were living in a world of persecution, as they were living in a world of chaos, as they were living in a world of immorality and idolatry and all those kinds of things, there's some questions they had to ask themselves because there's some things they were doing well, but God also exposed some things that they weren't doing well. It forced them, like us, to ask ourselves some questions. And so my prayer is as we go through these seven churches is that we would ask this basic question, can I resonate with what this church is going through? Do I feel like maybe I struggle with what they struggled with? Is this an area like the last nine months of my life where God wants to expose something in my life about what I believe, who I am, what I'm going to stand for, what I'm about, what is is, is these churches, do I resonate with them? And is there some things in these churches that's going to expose some things in my life that need to be addressed? And so we're going to start with the first church in Revelation chapter 2. And I'm going to ask you to do this. In honor of reading God's word, would you just stand with me? Chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, says this. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who do evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not found, and not found to be false and found to be false i know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the, my name's sake and you have not grown weary but i have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first remember therefore the, the depths of which you've fallen repent and do the works that you did at the first if not i will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent Yet this you have, you have hated the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, listen, he who has an ear. Now, what does that mean? If you can hear me, heed what I'm saying. Do you remember Jesus saying that over and over and over again in the Gospels? He who has an ear, let him what? Let him hear. So the point is this, what we're about to go through, don't let it fall on deaf ears. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for this passage. May you teach us so much. I know there's so much here, but may you unpack it for us in a way. May your Holy Spirit unpack it for us in a way that, imp- that totally impacts our lives, that exposes maybe an area that we too need to address so that we can walk closer with you. Lord, we love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as you look at this, the first letter written is to the church of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was the capital of Asia Minor. It's known as modern-day Turkey is what Ephesus was. But Ephesus was also a pretty, it was a capital, but it was a kind of a central point of a lot of trade that was going on. A lot of trade highways would go through Ephesus, so it's an extremely important city. Now, Paul founded the church of Ephesus in his third missionary journey. Now, as you look at this letter written, as John is writing really the words of the Lord to this church, there's several things I want us to notice. Here's the first thing. It's the commendation that he gives. 
the commendation. I want you to notice the commendation. Let's go back and look with me in verse 2 and 3 and then skip down to verse 6. It says this, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and how you were not and not found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Verse 6, yet this you have, you have hated the work of the Nicolaitans just like I have. Now, listen, the first thing that happens, out of the gate, John, by the words of the Lord, given a commendation to this church. He commends them for some things that he's doing. Did you notice the first thing he says there? I know your works. Now, what, what is, what's the point there? John is saying, listen, church of Ephesus, God is keenly aware of everything you're doing. It's not falling on deaf ears. God's not not watching you. I mean, I know you live in a world of persecution. You live in a world of chaos. You live in a world of wickedness. You live in a world of immorality and idolatry. But I want you to know something, church. When you feel like nobody's paying attention, the God of all eternity is keenly aware of what's going on in your church. He knows keenly what's happening there. And then he gives a list of five commendations. The first one he says, I know your toils. You know what the word toil means? It means to persevere, and it means to actually to labor. Rather, it means to labor in doing ministry to the point of weariness. That's what he's talking about. He says, listen, the Lord is keenly aware of what's going on in your church. And one thing I want to commend you on is your toil. You have labored in doing ministry to the point of exhaustion. Now, wouldn't we like God to say that about us? Come on, wouldn't you like God to say that about you? Sure you would. He says, listen, you as a church are doing some great stuff. You are laboring and you are doing ministry and you're loving God and you're loving people and you're trying to serve the community and you're trying to be a light in a dark place. I mean, you're doing such a good job and God is keenly aware of your toil that you are laboring doing ministry even to the point of exhaustion. Great job, church. You're doing great. He commends their toil. And then he commends their patient endurance. He says, this is, this is what he says. He says, yeah. Uh, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. Now, I find that interesting. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life, my endurance through things is not very patient, right? I'm ready to hurry up and get through it. Anybody else with me on that one? I'm ready to hurry up and just navigate through this thing. He says, I want to commend you not only on your labor doing ministry to, to the point of weary, being weary, I also want to commend you for your patient endurance. And what's he talking about? They lived in a world of persecution, they lived in a world where they, well, I mean, I know we live in America, and I know we say this sometimes, but, you know, we've been Christianized to some level. They didn't live in that world. I mean, we are still in first century where Christians are being, you know, abused and martyred, and Christians are not being looked at with any kind of respect, and so they are being persecuted as a church. In the city of Ephesus, a capital city, with all this trade going on, you've got to know there are people that are pagans that are coming in, and they're not treating Ephesus well at all. And he says, listen, in the face of persecution, you've just stayed strong. You have remained strong, and you stood your ground. And then God wants to commend you for your patient endurance. And then he commends them for something else. He commends them for their moral purity. Do you notice there what he says? He says, and also, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. He says, as a church, you've been morally pure. You've kept away from all the immorality in the world. Not only are you not tolerating the immorality, you are not participating in it either. Now you say, well, Doug, well, that makes sense. A church shouldn't. Well, go back and read some more of the New Testament. You find out churches like 1 Corinthians 
Were they participating in the morality that was going on in Corinth? Yes is the answer. They were doing the very things they should not be doing. I mean, they were trying to honor God, but there was immorality going on, and the church of Corinth struggled engaging in those things. And so what John tells the church of Ephesus is, listen, not only are you laboring doing ministry, you're patiently holding your ground, you're remaining strong in the Lord, but also I want to commend you because of your moral purity. With all the immorality around you, not only are you not tolerating it, but you've not compromised and gave in to it. You've not compromised and participated in it. And the Lord wants to commend you for that. And then he says, I want to commend you for another thing. I want to commend you for your spiritual discernment. It looks at verse 3, he says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. And just before that, he says, you've also attested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. In other words, I want to commend you for all these things, but I also want to commend you for your spiritual discernment. There are those among you who say they're apostles. There's those among you that say that they have come from God, but the reality is they have not come from God. And you've tested their message. You've tested what they say. You've tested everything that's come your way, and you have been able to spiritually discern they are not from God. Now listen, I, I, want, I want you to hear me say something this morning. Is, isn't that the job that everybody who sits in church ought to do every Sunday morning? Don't just take what Doug said as, hey, that is from the Lord and that's exactly what I ought to believe. Listen, surely there should be some respect and authority as the pastor that you go, I want to kind of believe that. But it's your job to, with the Holy Spirit to go and attest and approve everything that comes out of this mouth on Sunday. Everything you watch on TV, every podcast you listen to, you need to test it and approve it and make sure it comes straight from this book. Amen? You do. And he says, listen, church, and you've been doing that. There have been false prophets coming in, trying to preach a different gospel, and you've called them out. You've seen them, and you've not tolerated it. And then he goes on, and he says in verse 6, and you've hated the work of the Nicolaitans. Now, you, for some of you, like, what in the, who in the world are Nicolaitans? Well, Nicolaitans was a group that formed, that followed a guy by the name of Nicholas. Nicholas, you can go back and read it later, but in Acts chapter 6, Nicholas was in charge of food distribution for the church. And somewhere along the line, Nicholas became an apostate. He walked away from the faith. He started teaching and pushing people toward immorality and idolatry. And so he says, listen, I want to commend you because even someone who used to be one of us, who now was walking a different life, you didn't put up with that either. Just because of who they used to be, you weren't tolerating their push toward immorality and idolatry. So think about it. Here's what John is saying. Listen, the Lord knows everything you do. He is keenly aware of every action of this church. And he wants to commend you for the labor in doing ministry. He wants to commend you for your patient endurance to remain strong. He wants to commend you for your moral purity to, to not tolerate the immorality around you, but also not to participate. He wants to commend you for the spiritual discernment with which you've used to call people out who are preaching a false doctrine. He wants to commend you for taking someone who used to be part of us and going, you don't believe the way we believe anymore. I'm not listening to you anymore, and I don't want to do with the works that you're doing. He commends them for how they're living life. Now, pause. Pause. Push the pause button. Anybody remember the old VCRs? Anybody? Okay, come on. Come on. Do you remember? Let me see your hands. I know you're away. Okay. Do you remember the pause button? I feel like we should pause right here because there's one, one thing. If the letter stopped here, we would look at the church of Ephesus and what conclusion would we come to? Man, they got it going on. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. As a pastor and of this church, I would love if an angel showed up to me at nighttime. I would, that would, I mean, I would be scared to death, obviously, but I mean, that would be a great moment. 
And if he would just whisper, or, you know, just this voice, they would say, hey, Doug, man, the, man, God is clearly aware of everything that Cross Life East is doing. And I just want you to know that the Lord wants to commend this church, commend them for the labor and doing ministry where they're at and being a church who doesn't just talk about service, but does serve. I want to commend you for that kind of church. I want to commend you for being a part and leading a kind of church that, that is patiently enduring, a church that, that fights against the immorality and is morally pure, a church that is spiritual discerning. I mean, as a pastor, I'd be like, yes, I want to be part of that kind of church. And if the letters stopped there, we would all go, Ephesus, wow, we want to be just like you, right? But then verse 4 happens. And for me, this is like the gut punch of the passage. Look at verse 4 again. Because we go from accommodation, now we see the concern. But I have this against you, that you abandoned the love you had at first. Now think about it. This is a church it's doing so many things awesome, right? They're doing so many things right, and they're doing for the Lord. But yet the, the Lord speaks through John to this church, and he goes, listen, here's the things I want to commend you for, but here's my concern. You've forsaken your first love. You feel like this was a gut punch to the church of Ephesus? I mean, they were like, yes, yes, we're doing well, and then bam, right to the gut. It'd almost be like husbands, almost be like your wife coming to you and going, hey, honey, I love you, you're... You were such a great provider for this family. Man, you work hard for this family. You are a great father to our kids, and you love them, and you care about them, and you navigate them, and you teach them, and you are just this person in our community that everybody looks to as someone who truly reflects Christ. But when did you stop loving me? As a husband, would that be a gut punch to you? All these things they're bragging about, and all of a sudden, but when did you stop caring about me? Wouldn't that just kind of make your heart just drop to your gut? Sure it would. That's what's going on here. Man, you're doing all this good stuff. But here's my concern. You've forsaken your first love. That's interesting. The word forsaken or abandoned here, either one, different translations use different words, but that word does not mean you lost your first love. It means you left your first love. So abandoned, forsaken doesn't mean you lost it. It means you left it. Now, you said, Doug, does that mean I just turned around and walked away? No, no, no. The word has deeper meaning to that. In fact, if you want to study the word, I love that. Because if you get to the original etymology of the word, here's what you're going to find out. Is that when he says you left your first love, what he's really saying is you drifted from your first love. It'd almost be like a person selling in a boat, going to a destination, and somewhere along the line, they did everything right. They put the sails up, they had their, their GPS or whatever it's called, they had all that stuff going right, and somehow they just drifted slowly but surely, of course. If there was never a moment of a hard right turn or hard left turn, it was a slow, subtle, drifting away of the course. That's what he's talking about. Hey, church, you've done so many good things. But is it possible this church, hear me, is it possible that this church misplaced service for the Lord with communion with the Lord? Did you hear me on that? Is it possible this church misplaced service for the Lord with communion for the Lord? Yeah, they were doing some right stuff, man. Some amazing stuff. Some things that most churches in today's world can't even say they've been doing. But somewhere along the line, as doing the right stuff, they just began to drift and began to drift and began to drift. And began to drift until the Lord exposed how you've forsaken your first love. Can I just tell you personally in my life, I struggle with this sometimes. I get so wrapped up in sermon prep or so wrapped up in serving our community or so wrapped up in what's going on. Sometimes I too mistake serving the Lord with my time in communing with the Lord. 
And I think this can happen to all of us. Well, Doug, how can it happen? So let me give you some examples. Here's how this forsaking our first love can happen to us. Maybe we're going to come to a place where instead of us pursuing holiness in our life, we just drift away and become more just infatuated with knowledge. In other words, when we look at God's word, it used to be this pursuit. I want to know God's word so I can know more about what it means to be holy and to be like Christ and live for him. But now I just want to know more God's word just because I want more knowledge. And I'm just infatuated with knowledge. I don't really care as much about holiness. And so I drifted from this pursuit of holiness to now just a pursuit of knowledge only. And Paul says knowledge is what? It's puffed up. But it's love that edifies. And we too can lose our first love this way. Another way we can do it is when we start drifting, when we start seeing the world as the enemy rather than the mission field, Right? When we start looking at the world and go, okay, they are a mission field. They are, they are, the world we live in is filled with people that are lost, that are broken, that need a Savior. Can you say amen to that? And as we look at that, we begin to drift and we begin to get hard and we begin to drift and we get harder and get callous to the point where now it's us against them. Now they are the enemy instead of the mission field that we ought to be going after. That's a sign that we've drifted in our first love. Another way is when we quit pursuing being re- re- molded into the image of Christ, and become more consumed with being just comfortable in life. Lord, I want to love you. I want to live for you. I want to obey you. But if you just make my life so smooth and run so freely and comfortable, that would be awesome. And we drift there. I think the greatest way we drift is this. Is when we choose to put something or someone ahead of our relationship with the Lord. When something or someone become more important than he does. Now here's the point. We look at this church and go, how could they do that? Well, we can do it too, can't we? We wrestle with the same stuff they wrestled with. And if we're not careful, our once love for the Lord can drift into something where we've abandoned, forsaken, and drifted in our love for the Lord. So he gives this commendation, and then he gives this gut punch of a concern. And then notice with me the the third thing, and he gives a command. Look with me in verse 5. He says this in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. And he says this. What's the next word? Oh, come on. Say it like you mean it. What? Repent. Let's all say it together. Repent. We don't like that word, but I, I'm not convinced you want to say it. Say it with me. Repent. And he says, I want you to remember where you've fallen from, and then I want you to repent. He said, and do the works you did at first. So here's the command the Lord gives the church of Ephesus. You ready? You might want to write this down. Number one, remember. Number two, repent. And number three, return. That's what he says. I want you to remember from where you've fallen. In other words, there was a season in your life And you were so passionately following me. There was a season in your life where pursuing me was the most important thing in your life. But where you're at today is not where you used to be. And I want you to remember where you once were in light of where you are today. It's kind of like anybody married in the room ever had a disagreement with your spouse? Anybody? Okay. Only Elijah's being honest back there. Okay, the rest of you, marriage counseling, we offer Don and Terry, be offering that later today. So, no, I mean, here's the thing we all had disagreements. And young in our marriage, early in my married years, those disagreements got to a higher level of intensity than what they do now. Now, at this age, I'm at like now, I'm like, you know what? Uh, Nothing is worth getting all bent out of shape over, right? I mean, that's really maybe a good attitude. But early in my years, I remember this, that we would get in such a disagreement that literally I feel like the way the Holy Spirit helped me deal with what was going on was it helped me remembering my wedding day. And so my first 10 years of marriage, I can remember when Sonia and I would get in intense moments. And usually, let's be honest, don't tell her because she's not here right now. Usually, I was wrong. I know I was wrong. I don't like being wrong. I like being right. But I mean, I have kind of an over-challenging and controlling nature to me. And so I know that. But it would force me to go back to our wedding day. Because on our wedding day, here's what I remember. I remember standing in the front of a church 
nobody in the room but a photographer. And I remember the double doors opening in the back. And I remember my wife, who had long blonde hair back then, walking down in her beautiful gown. I remember the smile like it happened yesterday. And I remember standing on the stage, and I remember looking to rise. I remember my vows that we made, and I remember the song evermore that was played that was a reminder of the journey that we were about to embark on. Now, why do I say that? I say that because of this. When I would get so frustrated, I was able to go back and remember the sweetness of that moment, and my frustration just seemed to kind of go away. Are you with me on that? He says, listen, where you're at today is not good. You've abandoned your first love. So what I want you to do, remember. Go back to the sweetness of that moment that maybe you said yes to Christ or the sweetness of that moment when you were so close to him. I want you to remember. Then second of all, I want you to repent. He said, I want you to repent. I want you to turn from where you're at and and acknowledge this, that your decreased love for the Lord, your drifting in your love for the Lord is sinful and I want you to call it out. Call out that sin. Then he said, last of all, I want you to turn. Go back to the way it used to be. In other words, go back to the passion you once had for the Lord. So he commends them. He expresses a concern. Then he gives a command. Remember, repent, and return. And then he gives, as we kind of get ready to wrap this up, he gives a choice. Look with me in the very end of verse 5. He says this. He says, repent and do the works that you did at first. And if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, this is pretty harsh. He's saying, listen, you've done some great stuff, but you've drifted in your love for me. So I'm calling you back. I'm calling you to remember and repent. And if you do it, we'll get to that in a minute. But if you don't do it, just know this. I'm going to take my lampstand from this church. Now, what does that mean? He's saying, literally, I'm going to, you, you're going to lose your light-bearing capability in the world. The church is called to be the light of Christ, aren't we? We're called to be salt and light. He said, listen, what's going to happen is if you don't repent, if you continue down a path of drifting in your first love for me, I'm going to remove the fire of my Holy Spirit that makes you an organism in the world, and you're going to be nothing more than an organization. I'm going to take my hands off the church, and I'm going to put my power and my passion somewhere else. I'm going to take my lampstand from you if you do nothing. Now, he's not talking about taking their salvation away. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about taking his power and saying, if you don't want to fall in love with me, if you don't want to live for me, there's somebody else that will, and I'll put my power somewhere else. But then he says this. The last thing is the call. That was the choice, and then we see finally the call. It's verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Here's the call. You ready? Be responsible to heed my words. Do what I'm telling you to do. And then use this word overcomer or conqueror there. And basically what he's saying is, listen, for those of you that conquer, in other words, those of you that overcome, those of you that heed my words, and you do remember, you do repent, and you do return, guess what waits for you? The tree of life. Now, he's not talking about you've lost your salvation and you're getting back. No. If you go back and study the tree of life, what you find out is this. Is the tree of life represented really two things. It represented that God was present and God was with them, and it was a tree of delight. And here's what he's saying. If you repent and you remember and you return, here's what God will do for you. He will restore the relationship, and you will once again find your delight in him and him only. Not only in this world, but in life that is to come. Now, what's he telling this church? Listen, here's what you're doing great. Here's what you need to address. Here's how to address it. But if you do nothing, 
And you're not going to be my light that I want you to be. But if you heed my words and do what I'm saying, I'm going to restore a relationship and I'm going to use you in a way where you will find your delight only in me. So here's my question for us today, and it's this, and it's very simple. And it's this basic question. When you look back at the last nine months of your life, what has maybe the Lord exposed in your life? Have you drifted in your first love for the Lord? Have you forsaken? I don't mean ran away. I mean, has, have you looked at your life today? Has there been a slow drift in your passion, your love, and your adoration of the Lord? And for some of you, the answer is, the answer is going to be what? Yeah. But the call for us is the same call it was for the church of Ephesus. Remember. Remember the sweetness that when you were the closest to the Lord. Repent of where you're at. And then return say, Lord, I'm coming back. I'm making a new commitment to you to make you the most important thing in my life. And so here's how we're going to do that. So here's how I'm going to ask you to make the commitment. For those of you that feel like you've drifted, for those of you who say, Doug, I, I know that God is my first love, but I've drifted and he's not the love that he ought to be. And I put other things before him. Listen, and some of you go, I struggle with that, Doug, because I'm supposed to love my family. I'm supposed to love my kids. I'm, yes, yes, yes. But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you don't hate your father, brother, mother, and sister, you're not fit to be my disciple. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, listen, if your love compared to me, compared to your family, your love to your family ought to look like hatred compared to your love for me. Your love for me should be so exceptional and so extravagant that it makes everything else look like hatred in your life. So do we love the Lord like that? And if not, will we commit to him today? And if you're like me and you're a believer going, okay, I don't know that I've drifted, but I sure don't want to drift, right? I don't know that I've drifted, but I sure don't want to drift. Well, here's what I'm going to ask all of us to do. Whether you've drifted or not, I'm going to ask us all as believers to make a commitment to the Lord today. To commitment, first of all, to remember. So today, in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And as the band leads us, we're going to come and we're going to take the Lord's Supper today. There's tables on both sides. You can make your way to whichever one. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to be a member of this church, but if you belong to the kingdom of God, if you know that Jesus is your Savior, we invite you to take the Lord's Supper. And what I'm going to ask you to do is come grab one of these cups. We're trying to be careful with COVID and all that stuff, but each one individually wrapped. And I'm going to ask you to grab one, take it back to your seat. And as you feel led during the song, just peel back that first layer and take the wafer and remind yourself of the body that was beaten for you. The body that was bruised and battered because that's how much Jesus loved us. And then take that, and then when you're done, peel the next layer back and take the juice, reminding us of the blood that was shed for us. How Jesus didn't just say he loved us. He demonstrated his love for us. Amen? So if you're a believer, that's how we're going to make that commitment today. And if you're here today and say, you know what? I don't know that I've ever declared my first love is Jesus. Well, today's a great opportunity to do that. Today would be a day to say, you know what, today, if Jesus really did die for me, if his body really was beaten and battered for me and his blood was shed, today I want to surrender my life to him. So wherever we find ourselves this morning, will we be faithful to respond? Let's all stand together. Would everybody stand with me if you would? Everybody stand, every head bowed and every eye closed. And let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for this church. And Lord, I know for me that I, I would love to have these commendations come my way. I would love to have an angel pop up and, and say that so many of these things are, are churches like and things that I'm doing. And, and Lord, I would love that on my resume spiritually. But I feel like that gut punch is something that should resound in the room this morning. That sometimes we can do all the right stuff and still forget our time 
and our communion with you. So God, I pray for three people in the room today, three kinds of people. Those that are followers of Jesus who feel like, hey, after today's message, I feel like maybe I've drifted. But the good news is you don't have to stay adrift. The good news is God has not written us off. The good news is he says, remember, repent, and return. And so, Lord, I pray today for those that have drifted, that they would take the Lord's Supper and they would remember. They would come and grab this, this juice and this wafer, and as they make their way back to their seat, may you just flood their mind with memories of what Jesus has done for us and how much he loved us, the depth and the width of his love, and that we would remember. And in remembering, we would repent of how we've drifted. But as we take the supper, may we commit to returning back to you. And then, Father, second of all, I pray for that person maybe like me that maybe didn't feel like they've drifted, but they sure don't want to drift. Today, may it just be a sweet reminder, a reminder as we take the Lord's Supper of what Christ has done for us. Maybe a reminder to renew our commitment, not once a year, not once a week, but every day that we're going to love and live for you. And then I pray for that person, Lord, that maybe doesn't know you. Maybe today as we've talked about a body that was beaten and battered and blood that was shed, that someone would say yes to you. So God, would you just move in this place? As believers, may we be faithful to come participate in a supper that's all about you, that remembers what you've done for us. And for maybe someone who doesn't know you today, may they trust you for the first time. God, be with us. Bless this time we have together. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. And amen. Amen. As you feel led, you may come to the tables.